Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new podcast here for the Rider News. This is called The Sports Section. My name is Carlo Pascal, and I have with me the two sports editors from the Rider News, Dylan Manfrey and Sean Chornarboroff. Why don't you guys introduce yourself a little bit? Sorry for, uh, for the delay here, I'm, and I'm looking down at my phone. We just got breaking news that the NCAA has voted on November 25th as the start of the 2020-2021 college basketball season. So now that we got that out of the way, uh, my name is Dylan Manfrey. I'm the sports editor of the Rider News. Happy to be on this podcast. Happy to start this initiative. And uh, really happy to break some news as the first on our uh, first couple minutes of the podcast here. Doesn't really happen too often. Um, so I'm Dylan. I'm a junior at Rider, a journalism major. And fun fact about me, I covered the second-to-last college basketball uh, game on American soil back on March 12, 2020, before, right before the coronavirus shut down the entire world. All right, I'm Sean Chonabroff. I'm a sophomore sports media major here, and I am Dylan's co-editor. I, he took me under his wing last year, kind of helped me out a lot, and now we're here doing this podcast together, and we're co-workers. And I can't really think of a fun fact about myself, but I'm just excited to get in and do some great work here. Well, it's uh, great to have you guys both on and just a little bit about myself. I'm the photo editor uh, for the Rider News. Uh, I came on last year around December, took over as the photo editor, and I've loved it ever since. Fun fact about me is uh, I am the the play-by-play for the Rider News ice hockey team. Just a little, uh, just a little sliding right there for myself. But either way, we're going to talk uh some sports here today like dylan said we got some breaking news about the max starting so dylan do you want to mention some more stuff about that just real quick yeah i mean right now we're seeing november 25th as the official start date to the 2020-2021 uh college basketball season obviously a very encouraging sight to see and uh just want to make something very very clear here that this is all a real fluid situation like anything's possible i spoke with uh mac commissioner rich enders this morning um who said that we're gonna have a 20 game conference slate which is a, your traditional round robin obviously this year has any has been anything but traditional so it's it's gonna it's gonna be a real fluid situation here we're gonna have there will be some hiccups um uh, one thing that was interesting that he told me is that they have a week in february i think it's the third week in february that where there's going to be no play whatsoever. So they plan that in because if a game is to be postponed or multiple games will need to be postponed, they're going to use that week to make up those games. However, if everything goes according to plan and there are no hiccups, however, that might be unlikely, um, then that that week, could, which is open for everybody, could be used to get another, con- uh, another non-conference game in. It could be used... To- to play another Mac game that might just not have any bearing on the standings, or they're just going to maybe use that as some practices. Um, they're going to present, they're going to uh, publicize those, um, the models tomorrow, uh, which is what's, what's tomorrow's today's date, the 17th. guys? I have no tomorrow's idea. A, tomorrow's September tomorrow's 17th. The 17th. Okay, great. I have no concept of time anymore. So <laughs> we're going to have, they're going to publish that model tomorrow, September 17th. And so teams will get their um, official schedules. I think by next Tuesday, Commissioner Enzer told me tomorrow. Uh, Commissioner Enzer told me this morning. Well, that's fantastic news that we actually finally have a start date. 
and that now that uh, we're actually going to get schedules for games and we're finally going to have sports back. And that's actually a really good transition into one of the stories we had this past week. Uh, Kevin Baggett, the head coach of the men's basketball team, talked a little bit about uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, police brutality in the United States and all the stuff that's going on right now in the U.S. And Sean, did you want to talk a little bit about that? I know both of you guys wrote it, but Dylan just did a whole big thing about the Mac. Um, I want to be honest. It was one of the most eye-opening conversations I think I've ever had. And there are certain things that I will fully admit as a Caucasian, as a white man, I can't understand. And when Coach Baggett is talking about him being uncomfortable, being pulled over. I've had interactions with the police. I've never been uncomfortable, and those are certain privileges I guess I get as a result of my skin color. But the one thing that stood out was the unity that's needed in this country. And I went to a protest, I believe, back in June, and really the identification of a common pain between a large group of people, it's something that really doesn't leave you and really actually changes the way you view things. And Baggett just giving me a deeper thought on that, but him just not trying to I guess make an enemy, but truly like unify and educate. It was something honestly, truly amazing, something eye-opening and something I think everybody, there's a video out on our YouTube channel should go check out because it is something different. And it's not something, it's something he just tells it to you plainly. There's no this or that, it's no debate. It is just a truly honest account from someone that has been through this, someone that is a father, hoping to be a grandfather, someone that just has had this affect his life and someone that just wants to see equality. Somebody that wants to see true change and is just tired of, as he said, is something that has been going on for 400 years now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really impactful just to, just to talk to him and for him to open up about, you know, what he's been through. Like, you know, we started our story off by talking about his experience um, getting pulled over. And that's, you know, frequent, we've seen frequently how, you know, how unsafe it is for black people to just get pulled over and they that's like their biggest worry now and that's sad it's sad that the country has gotten to that point it's sad that anybody has to worry for their own safety about getting pulled over and you know it's it's clear that change needs to happen and just listening to coach back and talk about everything it was it was very empowering you know you don't know what somebody else is going through you can't you know as a white man myself like you i have no idea what he goes through i have no idea what his perpetual feels fears are on a daily basis but for him to articulate those to me it left me speechless at some points it really really did yeah one thing that i think is truly important to point out about the interview was he was talking about how he looks to graduate his players and he looks to be a father figure to players. That's something he's conveyed to me privately as well when I've interviewed him. Like he's, he takes pride when he sees a player that they've gone on and they can be a role model, that they are now a father figure. Those are the things he takes pride in, which is truly great. But one thing also, he talked about within Ryder, you know, he wants to be someone that a black people can look up to. He says like he had his coaching idols. He talked about John Thompson, who recently passed away, was a, a coach at Georgetown who really built up that program to what it is today. And he said, you know, black professors, black leaders, black coaches, he wants to be that. He thinks more black youth need idols. And he's hoping to be that on this scale at Ryder University where people could say, I wanna be Coach Baggett. I wanna be like him. And that's something that we've always said, we need more of. We get educated, he said it to us 
blatantly. He's like, he said, he, asked, he said it to us, Dylan, when you grew up, you were reading a lot about white history, not enough about black history. And it's time that the country educates themselves and good for coach Baggett for using no great for coach Baggett for using his platform to cause, to educate and cause whatever change he can. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's fantastic that, uh, that he's able to use the platform, like you said, Sean, and it's true that in, in schools, we don't learn anything about black history at all. It's almost always white history and, I would say it's more whitewashed than anything else. And there's not really any black historical figures that you're really taught and taught about, except for until you get to the civil rights movement. And even then mm-hmm. a lot of it is just, it's just not talked about some of the, some of the major people in there. You skip over, you can do like 10, 20 minutes on some people, if that for an entire class, if not the entire semester. And there really needs to be a change in that. And I think, with Baggett, he, like you said, Sean, is trying to be a role model, and that's just absolutely fantastic, and there needs to be more of it. There needs to be more of it, and I think he's just one really, really good example of it. He, he's, he he's a great example of it. I'm sorry, Dylan, you were talking. No, no, no. I was, I was just going to say, like, you know, he's a, great mo- he, he's a great role model, and many people do look up to him for sure. Yeah, and he's taken, and he's also going above and beyond. I'm not trying to over talk too much on this, but I think it's important to educate people as much as what we talked about. Cause I believe Dylan, I don't know how many more important stories me and you will write in our lifetime than the one we just published. Truly. I think it's the most important yeah, story I, I've ever written. I, I agree. And, I agree with that 100%. I, you know, I, I, I really, really do. And he said he, he organ he has organized zoom calls with so many, all, almost all of the other programs at, within Ryder athletics to educate, to talk, to keep these conversations going. And I talked to Coach Inverso um, not too long ago, and he's told me, he's like, these are di- it's a dialogue he keeps up with his team. He says, don't just put it on social media. He's like, walk your walk, talk your talk, promote. He's like, if you're going to put it on social media, that's cool. Promote it, but also don't just promote yourselves. Promote Black Lives Matter, but then also go into the community and make a difference. He's got an initiative with uh, the youth in Trenton where he works with the underserved kids, where he's helped seven kids go play college soccer. He told me about one kid got sent to prison. One guy is playing professionally over in England, and that's something he's trying to take nationally to make a national difference. So kids who in a sport traditionally don't get served and really are ostracized now can hopefully have this platform to where they can get opportunities to where, honestly, it's going to be run by college coaches. Now you're networking with college coaches from the time you're 9 and 10 years old, and hopefully that can launch you into a Division One, Division Two school and really give you a future. We need more of that. And and, and Inverso said Coach Baggett has been a great – assist um aid to him in this in advice and in different things though we need more of that 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 um initiative by coach inverso that willingness to say okay i've done this for 14 years he identifies that we don't have a false sport so this is the time to move it and he's talked to 25 coaches and gotten really good responses from some huge universities penn state northwestern maryland Penn State, Northwestern, two different parts of the country. So now you're gonna, you could hopefully have this initiative growing in two different places, and that would be huge for the future of soccer, but also the Afri- um, black movement within the game, where you are hoping to see a change and even more black idols, as there are big issues going on with racism overseas within the sport. I think that, uh, I think that it's just fantastic for. Uh for Inverso to get involved in it as well and have Baggett as really an aide to help educate not just at Ryder but nationally 
and even going worldwide, I think that it really needs to be spread out. And what Inverso is doing is is incredible. It's absolutely insane. It's insane that he's been able to pull it off, and it's fantastic. And I think that actually is a, a good talking point over to what Inverso uh, had to say this week and what his uh, what you guys wrote about him this week. But with his... Uh, um, go ahead. Yeah, um, what we wrote about him this week, it was this, I referenced it, it was his initiative. It is what he's trying to take nationwide. And, like, I, this is something I've experienced personally within soccer. I know, I know the costs that come with it. I've played travel soccer. I've played for some pretty good academies myself. I never... I had some injuries and some issues where I didn't go and play college. I chose not to, but it's a lot of money. Like I was a goalkeeper. I had private goalkeeper training. You have to buy gloves. You cleats are expensive. League fees. Academies can cost two thousand dollars a year for underserved youth. That's that's a big problem, and that's and and you don't there's no you don't really get free academies until you're like thirteen, fourteen with development academies, which is. There's only so many of them, and some kids are late bloomers, which I myself was in that aspect. And it's so hard for these kids to actually be able to develop within a game that honestly has given me so much. I know so many people that love it. It truly is difficult, the cost of playing soccer, because as he said, it's a multi-billion dollar business, and the youth soccer scene is so corrupt within this country to where they try to exploit that money out of the youth. Instead of focusing on development, they focus. there's a money-making model which is different from overseas, which is why kids like so many other sports are easier to get into, you know, basketball, football. A lot of times they're a lot cheaper. But Inverso, his initiative, if it could go nationwide, honestly, in my opinion, fixes this issue flat out. It gives kids who are from communities who need it a way to play soccer. And also, he he told me he has teamed up with the coach at Princeton, who's one of his good friends. He actually served as an assistant there back in the 80s. And he said kids from Princeton will now be tutoring hopefully kids within this mooch soccer program and giving them you know the effects of that elite education hopefully and he told me he wants his players which they haven't volunteered in a few years but he said that's changing that's changing this year as soon as possible as soon as they could open he wants his players in contact with you know mooch soccer players these kids from trenton that they are working with as mentors as aides as people that they can rely on as people could really navigate themselves through youth through teenage years as they enter into high school and hopefully some of those kids even get college opportunities where they could use soccer as a way to get somewhere with their life. Yeah, I, I it's a fantastic movement. And I think that it's really, really going to make a huge impact, not just at Ryder and with his players and Princeton and with uh, the players there and with uh, Ryder's players going over there to tutor and stuff like that and the students over at Princeton. Like you, like you mentioned before with like, with Ryder, Penn State, Northwestern, all of them are nationwide, and I think even as a goalie myself, Sean, I didn't play at like I didn't play at a high at that high of a level, but I only played up to EDP. But either way, it I I, I can know that I I know the same experiences that some people can go through as I wasn't the most athletic person going through going uh playing soccer, and people would make fun of all people would make fun of me make fun of you all the time especially if you came from a not so fortunate area or a not so fortunate family you wouldn't you would get lambasted for it and i i there really needs to be some sort of change and i and i'm very very happy that inverso is doing it then moving on now from uh some more serious topics to 
some more uplifting ones with we talked about the Mac news a little bit with the start dates, but there was some more news on it this week. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, everything, everything's starting to fall into place and everything's a fluid situation right now. One thing that I'm sure many people want to hear is, uh, unfortunately, there will not be any fans until um, December 23rd, uh, which is a couple of days before the holiday break. Or actually, we might, or we'd already be home at that. Yeah, point. we we would already be home on that point. So it it's really to protect the athletes, and so after that, it would be maybe fifty people in an arena, whatever state guidelines allow for, and the first conference game, at least for the men, would be on December eighth. Second one being December eleventh. Uh, they want to keep Commissioner Enzo told me that. They want to keep that Tuesday, Friday model um, to protect the ESPNU uh, contracts they have for the upcoming season. The women would play on Wednesday, Saturday. Uh, so whoever's covering men's basketball is going to have to deadline right a couple of days on a Tuesday. But I don't know if either of us would be opposed to that because I'm sure we're just desperate to go to cover a live sporting event. Uh, definitely. Last last uh, sporting events I covered was, uh, you know, March 12th, 2020. Uh, God knows how many days ago. <laughs> um, yeah, so no fans until December 23rd. And they're going to have those in be- those days in between of without games uh, for testing results. Uh, hopefully they can get rap- some rapid tests that will produce results uh, 72 hours before game time. And yeah, I think both teams are coming into the season uh, really new. Um, the women brought in four or five recruits. Uh, they lost six seniors, including Stella Johnson, who is the greatest rider women's basketball player, rider, greatest rider basketball player. Forget men's and women. She's the greatest rider basketball player ever, period, the end. Let's make something very, very clear. She's, she's the greatest, period, the end. And uh, unfortunately, she uh, she lost her her season came to a close in the WNBA with the Washington Mystics yesterday. Who I think they got beat at the last second by Phoenix. I, I didn't watch so. the entire game, think, but like I, think, I heard yeah. they got beat on like a last second shot. Yeah. Um, but back to the Mac at least. So it's going to be encouraging to have uh, twenty conference games. Those are really the big. Those are really the biggest things. Uh, that they want to keep in place um, all leading up to the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference tournament uh, March 9th to March 13th at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So hopefully everything stays in place, to be honest with you. And I'll, like Commissioner Enzer, and I'm sure a lot of people, um, I'm cautiously optimistic, but we're also realistic. Not everything's going to work out. There will be some hiccups. There, There will probably be a game played within – um, one of those weeks in February, I think it was the third week. Don't quote me on that. Maybe either the third week or February 23rd um, or that week. So I'm, I anticipate a game being played in, being played in there. And it's good that they have that because it gives them a buffer to at least continue to have the season without too many disruptions to the schedule, because that's really the most important thing on top of um, players' health, obviously. Yeah, they've also really taken their time 
to figure all this stuff out and to really have a game plan in place for what they want to do. And I think the time that, like, the amount of time they took to release all this stuff, it served them well to where they have a really, really good idea of what could happen and if there's any hiccups or stuff like that, what they're going to be able to do with that built-in week, uh, which I think is a, a really, really smart idea. And like you said, Don, I think there's at least probably going to be one gameplay that week. There's always going to be hiccups. And we've seen even with like the NBA, the NHL, uh, which had bubbles. And I, even though colleges aren't doing that, they're still going to be traveling they're still going to be moving. Players are still going to be moving around, going to classes, especially in the spring, uh, to where if Ryder at least goes back to on-campus classes instead of all online, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with kids going to class and kids traveling for sports and stuff like that. Well, listen, I mean, like that the period that I want to call the golden window is the period of time in between semesters, what we all know is J-term. Uh, you know, that January term, you know, from when the spring semester, from when the fall semester ends to the spring, that day in like a normal situation, you know, pandemic aside, there's at least eight to 10 games played in that window between both, between both sports, I guess, men's and men's basketball, women's basketball. So that's a real bulk of your season to be played there. Usually you have the first conference game in there. So that's a very important period of time that, you know, health officials are, you know, almost starting to say is the time when we need to be the most careful and for people not to be on campus, even though we are de-densified pretty much, that's that opportunity um, in between semesters is going to be very, very important. And we got to really be safe there if, you know, we want the basketball season to be to go on, you know, as we wanted to. Listen, college basketball is going to happen. College basketball is going to be played. We will have a March Madness tournament in March or whenever if they decide to move it. But that's the NCAA's biggest uh, revenue generator. Probably generates about 85, 80 to 85% of their revenue. Don't quote me on that number, but it's a damn big chunk grossing at over a billion dollars, guys over a billion with a B. So they're going to have that. And then that money trickles down to the other conferences to run their other tournaments. So they need to have it. They can't sustain two years without a March Madness tournament. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing, at least for college basketball, is whether they're going to have it in March or if they're going to push it back. Depending on what happens, I would say through December and January, they would probably make their decision around then I would I at least to me they probably would decide like the first week of February whether they're going to have it or not and everything's so so fluid yeah it, it really is so fluid you know we could say early February we could say March um I mean this in 2020 the MAC tournament was held March 10th to the 14th you know we're holding that around the same time this year March 9th to the 13th you know Everything's just so fluid right now, especially in the area that the MAC is located because we are a, I guess, healthy, you could say, geographical region with all 11 schools um, being located in New Jersey, New York, and uh, Connecticut. And one thing that is worth mentioning is with non-conference play, 
Uh, they're hoping to get in four to five games, a maximum of six, I believe, would be allowed. But they're encouraging uh, – the Mac's encouraging its schools to schedule those games for regional opponents. You know, we're not going to see Ryder play at Arizona State like they did last year. They're not going to – we're not going to see them play Wisconsin. Um, or Ole Miss that was scheduled this year. Ole Miss. I mean, they – I mean, that – Listen, that game might still be on the schedule, but who knows? They might be able to try to fit something in there. But, you know, the thing we have to be careful about is um, the quarantine um, restrictions for each state. If you go somewhere and then come back to New Jersey, are you going to have to quarantine for 14 days? That can knock out a game or two, which they cannot afford to do. Yeah, I think I think with the rules for the quarantine, are, I don't know if they're going to keep them the same for uh... – for the sports teams because I've seen reports to where at least in the southern US there are teams playing where if they're not in the same like if they're not in the same state for 24 hours they are okay to go back to the school uh I've seen reports of that I'm not sure exactly how true it is I've heard that that is what's going on but I don't mm-hmm. know whether it would, it, they would do that here or not because there were a lot more cases in New York and New Jersey uh, as we were in the top five, and I think still are in the top five for most cases uh, reported total. But mm. it's going to be really interesting to see what Ryder can do and like what the game situations are going to be if they're going to play regional, how many games they're going to play against certain teams, and what the quarantine uh, policies are going to be like. But either way, that's going to wrap it up here for the first episode of the sports section here with the Ryder News. My name's Carolla Pascal, here along with Dylan Manfrey and Sean Chorbanoff. Have a good one, everybody.